Hi, and welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree Hewitt, the Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And today, we're talking about winter cycling with Jen and Jeremy Tweddle from the Canmore Community Cruisers. Winter cycling. Even thinking about the topic makes me cold, but I've been toying with the idea of doing it for a few years now. So when the Bike All Winter program by the Canmore Community Cruisers received the award in the air category at the 31st Annual Emerald Awards, I knew that this was my opportunity to learn more about winter cycling and finally get the push I needed to try it out this winter. For those of you who haven't heard of the Emerald Awards before, It's an award program that showcases organizations, projects, and individuals across Alberta who are raising the bar in addressing environmental and climate change issues. Now, I won't pretend that I know much of anything about winter cycling, so we're going to let Jen and Jeremy from the Canmore Community Cruisers take the reins and teach us why we should consider winter cycling and how to get started. Welcome to the show, Jen and Jeremy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Our first question for the both of you to kind of give us a little bit of your guys' background and and get us prepared to to chat about winter cycling. Why did you start winter cycling and and how long have you both been doing it? Um, I've been winter cycling since 1998, so that's a long time. Um, And the reason I started was I was working uh, downtown in Calgary and I was doing shift work. And so sometimes I would start at 6 a.m. and sometimes I would end at midnight. And uh, cycling was simply the most convenient way to get to and from work. Uh, And whether it was summer or winter, that didn't really change too much. Um, And so actually Jeremy made me my first pair of studded tires by hand with screwing screws into knobby tires. So we can talk about that a bit more later. But uh, yeah, so that's how I started. And I was amazed at how... Um, just how quick and convenient it was just to to bike into work. And uh, I worked at Shell downtown and they had good facilities for people arriving and storing their bikes and things like that. So that's how I got started. And I never looked back. I just love getting around on my bike. And once you discover how easy it is, you just, you never want to stop. So yeah, that's my story. I've always liked getting around on bikes. And I guess when I was at university, I had a bicycle as my primary transportation and so i found myself riding all times of year and that brought special challenges riding in calgary on ice or snow uh and in the dark and maybe in the slush and wet so but but yeah i started doing it as a regular thing i guess yeah in my in my uh school days that's awesome and when did you start winter cycling well, yeah. So, so right, right around then. Um, what year was that? Oh. Now he's going to have to admit how old he is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I, I would say that I, I started winter cycling in the late eighties. Uh, okay, awesome. And uh, and just just getting around my bike uh, whenever the conditions seemed appropriate, which at at one point seemed to be all the time. I had an experience where I was working in a part-time job and I looked out and it was minus 31 or two or something like that. And nobody could get their car started, but my bike worked really, really well. 
And so I could go to the ski shop and do my job. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really good. Actually, I don't really miss having a car right now. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, guys. Before we get too deep into the rest of my questions, can you both share a little bit about the Community Cruisers Bike All Winter program for those who might not have heard of it before? This year is going to be the third year that we're running it. Um, and basically, it's built on a successful program that was uh, run in Peterborough that one of our board members heard about at a Winter Bike Congress. That was in, I think, 2017 or 2018. Um, and we decided we wanted to implement it. It took us a little bit to figure everything out, but we uh, took a lot of lessons learned um, from other group in Peterborough that did it. And basically the idea is people apply for the program. We provide financial support for purchasing studded tires, lights, and fenders, but we also provide um, help. We have volunteers who help install the equipment, um, figure out what equipment is needed for the bikes. We were talking about you know, tire widths and tire diameters and all that kind of stuff. So making sure that what we get is going to fit on the, on their bikes. And then as well, we assign them a bike all winter mentor who is an experienced uh, person experienced with winter riding to answer any questions they have, or just even go on their first ride with them. It's basically tailored support just to help, you know, wherever they need it. So whatever issues or concerns they might have, the mentor tries to, to help with that. And then we do some group workshops as well on, you know, what to wear, because that is a big concern that people have. So we have people come in, do a little bit of a fashion show, like what they wear in different conditions and see the different ideas of what people do, because everyone's got their own, you know, special hack that they do or whatever it is. But uh, so learning from that and then as well, a little bit about bike handling which, which Jeremy can talk about, maybe what we recommend for people to do there. Um, and then just about the equipment they're getting and things like that. So, um, yeah, so that's what the program is about. We started off um, and we had, I think in the first program, 48 participants. Uh, the program was super popular. Last year we had 85 people. Um, and this year we're hoping to um, get 100. Uh, and we do it in Canmore and Banff. So, because uh, now we have actually community workshops in both of those towns, which is great. And so um, we also then at the end of the season help people switch their tires back. Um, and then all the alumni of the program every year, if they want, they can come in and use our community workshop to switch over their tires and things like that. Um, the other piece about the program is we uh, ask people to be ambassadors. So just to share their stories of what they're experiencing through the winter riding um, we get great photos of people riding around the winter. So uh, that also is just to uh, to try and, I guess, inspire other people to start riding their bike in winter and um, to look at the photos and hear the stories and, and identify with someone and be like, oh, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. And so, um, so that's another piece of the program to try and help amplify uh, the impact. Thanks, Jen. It's so great to hear about the Bike All Winter program and it's definitely something that I wish we had here in Edmonton, and I'm gonna cross my fingers that maybe one day it will come here. So can you guys share a bit about why people should winter cycle? What are the benefits? I think, honestly, one of the number one reasons is that it's fun. Like it actually feels good. Um, and that's one of the things that we hear time and time again from people who uh, take up biking all winter is that they, they just, it feels good, they love it. It's beautiful in the winter. It's quiet a lot of times after a snowfall. So that's one great reason. I think 
convenience is another big factor. Um, you don't have to, we talked already about, don't have to, you know, make sure your car's plugged in. You don't have to like brush off the windows and all that kind of stuff. Um, parking bikes is usually not a problem um, and a lot easier. And we live now in Canmore and in Canmore, a lot of times the bike routes are quicker than if you take your car. So there's a lot of shortcuts you can take on pathways and things like that. So the convenience factor, I think, is is a big one as well. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the environmental factor is also, uh, you know, and maybe that also is part of the feel-good factor. You know that you're doing something that's um, going to have an impact on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the reasons that, that I would say that we hear from people and that we talk about. Yeah, it, it feels free to be on a bike. Um, when I get in my car, I kind of feel a little bit trapped. Whereas when I'm on my bike, regardless of what time of year it is, I can like stop next to the sidewalk and talk to somebody that I know or chat with a stranger who's looking for directions or, you know, just kind of be out in the world as opposed to kind of in like a cocoon. So it, uh, I don't know, it feels, it feels more like freedom to me than driving. Many of our participants uh, in the Bike All Winter program don't have another uh, personal option for, for getting around. So the, the bicycle, and sometimes it's a bicycle that, that we sell out of our little community bike shop for 40 or $50, that is their principal and best winter transportation. So these bikes get used. They're going to get used all winter anyways, but this doing it this way, I mean, it's going to make it that much more comfortable and better for them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some, I know that some of our applicants, uh, this year, yeah, they don't have a car and they, they want to ride in the winter. They want to be more comfortable and it's, it's, it's either that or walking or taking the bus. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to be able to provide that, that for them, uh, just like more, more comfortable, uh, a, a better way of getting around. You know, cars offer us, they offer us, uh, freedom and they give us a sense of, you know, we can do whatever we want, where, whenever we want. And, and the people who don't have cars, you know, like I think about my sister, she, she's not able to drive and she has a bike now and that offers her a sense of freedom. Whereas when you're waiting for the bus, you know, you got to wait for the bus, whereas you can just hop on your bike and, and leave at any time. And my sister lives all the way out in Terwilliger and, or is it Terwilliger? Ellerslie. She lives in Ellerslie. And that's a bus ride she doesn't drive and a bus ride is about an hour and 10 minutes and to bike it's actually only 55 minutes if you're biking pretty fast but you see the differences in how our transportation systems are set up and you know buses and sometimes it's more convenient to cycle somewhere and you know mixed in with the like like Jeremy was saying that community building sometimes you're you're biking by somebody and you know, you stop and have a conversation and you're just more connected to your community and your environment. And I think that's why I really like cycling and why I want to make that push into, into winter cycling. And, you know, that was, that was one of, that was my next question actually, uh, was talking about how winter cycling can help us take action against climate change. And Jen, you kind of touched on that, but is there anything, any other, like maybe statistics or facts about how cycling can can help us take action. I know you folks were the winners in the air category at the 31st annual Emerald Award. So there's obviously that connection there with how cycling can help us improve the quality of our air. Yeah, well, there's the greenhouse gas emission reduction. So 
Uh, of course, every time you reduce a car trip, then that's going to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. But there's also local air quality um, improvements as well. And so um, that's something that you are doing that improves your local community, um, especially in the wintertime when people are potentially more prone to idle their vehicles. Uh, those types of emissions are quite harmful to people's health as well. Um, and so uh, I would say, yeah, it's not just the, the CO2 emissions, but actually the other um, emissions that come from your tailpipe that are being reduced that are contributing not just to reducing greenhouse gas or global warming, but also just making your community and the air cleaner uh, where you are. In, in addition to what we're talking about with regards to, uh, like, say, tailpipe emissions and like idling and, and driving and so on and so forth, there's less demand for really, really expensive and vast infrastructure. So uh, a bike lane and a bike parking rack doesn't take up much space. But if we look at roadways and highways and all the, all the space that cars take up, um, if, if we're able to start moving uh, some of these person trips onto bicycles, there, there's a whole lot less uh, need for this, this vast infrastructure. And in the wintertime, the plowing and the, the sanding and salting and all, all the work that gets done, it's, it's a huge, huge, laborious and expensive process that uh, just to keep the roads uh, good for cars, if we have to expand roadways to accommodate more traffic, more motorized traffic, that, you know, that, that's ever increasing. And it's, and it's like the tailpipe emissions is just a small part of, of the overall environmental impact of, of doing that, not to mention just the land loss uh, for creating all these roadways. So if we can create a, a, a bike uh, infrastructure route instead, you know, we've got something that's, that's pretty compact and can handle really quite a lot of traffic uh, and, and really with very little cost, comparatively speaking, to, to what the, uh, what the motorized uh, infrastructure would cost. Yeah, I didn't think about the piece of um, like how building roadways can, can compound that environmental impact. You know, it's not just the tailpipe emissions. It's also the other things that go into building that infrastructure. That's uh, yeah, absolutely. And then just in terms of um, the greenhouse gas reductions from at least from our program. So we uh, last year had uh, 85 participants in the program and we do surveys before and after to see like how often they rode their bikes and assuming that uh, some of those trips were replacing car trips. Um, we estimated that our program last year um, avoided 6.5 uh, tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's pretty good considering 85 people is just a small percentage of Canmore's overall population of 15,000 people. So, yeah. Absolutely. And if you look at that on a wider scale and see, you know, it's 85 people in Canmore are able to reduce six tons of greenhouse gas emissions. If you expand that even maybe to the entire community of Canmore or maybe a large percentage or even Edmonton or Calgary or more of these populated urban areas, that makes a significant impact on, you know, climate action and reducing those greenhouse gas emissions. And sometimes I think a sentiment that people share is, well, you know, my individual actions aren't going to create much change. But when you look at it in, in that regard and look at that data, it's, it's amazing to see what 85 people were able to achieve. And that's six tons less that contribute to, you know, warming our climate and changing our are, are changing the climate. And so I think that that's a really great sentiment. Yeah. And I think also when you take 
action and especially an action like this that's kind of a visible action people can see and you can share through the community and help it grow, then that also shows uh, our leaders as well a willingness to make changes in our lives, um, which maybe will help them to make decisions on um, either regulations or, um, you know, any kind of um, laws or things like that that will uh, help to reduce emissions as well. And so I think voluntary action is important, not just for the emissions that it reduces, but also for the culture that it creates um, and message that it sends to leaders as well, that people do want change and are willing to make changes in their own lives. Absolutely. And, and with that being said, you know, now that we're talking, we're talking about winter cycling and taking action in our own lives, what are the first steps that someone should take if they want to try winter cycling? You know, what gear do they need? How, how do you take that plunge? Well, it really kind of depends on what the conditions are that, that you're experiencing. Because winter is different where, wherever you go. You can be in a very snowy place or an icy place or, or just a, a cold and wet and dark place like, like the Netherlands. Uh, uh, the latter one, all you need is fenders, fenders and lights. Uh, maybe some good rain gear. Maybe some good, <laughs> some good rain gear. Uh, in, in North America, particularly in, in Alberta, uh, we might encounter uh, really icy conditions. So if it's really, really icy, uh, you can install studded tires on most bicycles. Most bicycles have a tire com- um, size that will fit them that, that has studs in them. So all of a sudden, the, the traction issue is not really uh, a problem anymore. Uh, having lights is, of course, very important. Short, the days are shorter if you're using a bicycle to get to and from work. You might be doing two commutes in the dark. So having a good uh, light on the front and the back of the bike is good. Uh, and then if the conditions are, are wet, slushy, or whatever, it's, it's, it's not a safety concern, but it's a comfort uh, thing to have protection from, from that as well. So we install fenders on, on the bicycles that we, uh, that we modify for, for riding in the winter. Yeah, and then in terms of, of gear, I mean, we, one thing that we... Uh, always recommend, especially especially to people who are new to winter cycling, is to take your time, like not to be in a rush. And that, I think that's also, you know, for driving cars in a winter, similar advice, like don't try to go fast when the conditions are difficult with ice and snow uh, or also visibility. So when you take it slower, you can think about how you would dress for going on a walk, for example, and what you would wear for that. And you could wear something similar if you're going to be... Um, putting a little bit more energy into it, or you have some hill climbs in your, uh, the ride that you're planning, then you can reduce it a little bit and think more about how you might dress for an outdoor activity where you're, you know, like running or um, cross-country skiing or something like that, where you're putting a little more effort in. But generally speaking, when I'm commuting around town uh, on my bike, I would wear something similar that I would do if I was walking. So I actually, you know, I wear my winter boots, I wear have a long down coat, which is kind of kind of more standard issue, um, which I wear, um, and a hat, so a toque, um, and some gloves. So I don't have necessarily a special gear that I use, um, but more I just think about, you know, what I would wear if I was just going out walking, which most people are familiar with. So that's something that they can uh, relate to. And then as well, especially if you are uncomfortable, you can do trial runs as well 
you know, like try out some of the clothing that you have um, and go for a short ride and see how it feels. Um, and then you can adjust from there. So uh, it's a little bit trial and error. Everybody runs at different temperatures and has, you know, different outputs that they are doing. Um, but generally speaking, we usually, you know, for what you need to wear, there's no special gear you need to buy and whatever you have in your, um, you know, front hall closet or, uh, you know, you can, you can pretty much wear for, for commuting by bike. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, uh, I think it's helpful um, for, for many people to think of cycling in the winter or at any time as maybe not being necessarily a special thing, not, it's not an extreme sport. Mm. It's, it's just a way of getting around that's going to be a bit faster than walking uh, and, and a lot more fun. So uh, just, you know, getting on your bicycle and going to, you know, wherever it is you're going, whether it's work or school or, uh, or to the movie theater, just do it in a more fun way. Uh, it, yeah, it's not a matter of like uh, dressing up in a totally different way or, or getting yourself psyched up. It's just a matter of going out the door. But instead of getting in your car or going uh, on, on foot or, or by transit, you're just getting on a bike instead. And it's just like a normal, normal everyday thing. And I, I think the, the people who treat bicycles as like an everyday normal activity, and we see this in places like the Netherlands and Denmark and stuff like that, they're the people that use the bikes all the time uh, because it's not special. It's, it's, it's just a really good way of getting around. Um, also in terms of bikes, so pretty much any bike can be used in winter aside from uh, road bikes are not great. Um, they're, uh, well, first of all, you won't be able to find studded tires for your road bike, uh, but also just the tire pressures that you run for a road bike and the position, it's not that conducive to winter riding, but pretty much any other bike. Um, some people ask, do I need a fat, fat bike? No, you don't, <laughs> uh, definitely not. And in fact, um, if most of your commute is instead of being on like hard packed snow and pathways, if it's on the road, um, a fat bike will feel very slow to ride um, and sort of more heavy and cumbersome. So um, if you are uh, just taking up riding, it might not be the choice actually uh, for someone if they're, if they're looking to get around in an efficient way. Generally speaking, any bicycle that can accept 35 millimeter or wider tires, uh, that, uh, that's going to be something that's compatible for, for winter riding. If it's, if it's narrower than that, uh, then, then probably not. And that's, you know, when we're getting into the 20 millimeters, that, that's like the road bike kind of range and, and not necessarily the perfect thing for winter riding in ice and snow. Mm-hmm. We'll do other minor adjustments uh, in, uh, in cooperation with the, with the rider. Uh, in addition to putting on the lights, fenders, and tires, we might recommend dropping the saddle a little bit. So maybe just a centimeter or two, just to lower the center of gravity of the rider and make it easier to put your feet down on the ground when it's slippery. If there's any slipping with the bike, it's, it's nice to be able to get your foot on the ground. You don't want to be um, at, at the absolute maximum leg extension while you're, while you're riding in technical conditions. And riding in the winter, if it's very, very slippery, it's a little bit like technical mountain biking. So you can drop your saddle a little bit and, and just, uh, just kind of change, change your body position a little bit, just, just to make it a bit easier, a little bit more comfortable. We also recommend that people run slightly lower tire pressure. Uh, so then again, there's more of the rubber of their tire in contact with the 
surface that they're riding on. And that's always a bit of a balance because you don't want to have your tire too low. Otherwise you're going to get flats. Um, but, but yeah, like a lot of times what people are doing in the summer just have to, um, they can run a slightly higher pressure and then the winter a slightly lower pressure. So we talk a little bit about that as well. It's something that anyone can do. Um, and that is also something that fat bikes do. Like they run very low tire pressures um, on the trails and things like that. So that's taking a little bit of um, the trail riding um, knowledge and applying that to riding uh, the commuter riding. Do you have any other tips. Uh, I know we, you had mentioned earlier talking about some bike handling tips. I think you had just mentioned one there with the running that tire pressure a little bit lower, but is there anything else that people can do to make their riding experience, you know, less, maybe not dangerous. I don't think it's dangerous, but help them to maybe not. I think one of my fears is, is slipping and falling and, <laughs> and hurting myself. Are there any ways, you know, tips that you have that can help prevent people from from falling or from injuring themselves while they're riding? Being relaxed while you're on the bike is probably the, the best, best way. And, and so in, like being, being, um, I guess, gentle with the handlebars, soft hands on the, on the handlebars. So not, not sudden turns or anything like that, like trying to cut around things. Uh, that, that's, that's going to reduce the chance of your, if your tire is slipping. If you're kind of comfortable and relaxed and looking ahead down the road, you're probably going to move down the road quite comfortably if you're riding aggressively or, uh, you know, turning quickly or doing these other things, like it, it increases the chances that your tires can slip. So yeah, we recommend that we, you, you take your accelerations and, and, and your braking, you, you just do it slowly and gently, just the, the same way that you would in a car in slippery conditions. Uh, when you're going around a corner, take that corner easily. And uh, don't don't expect to be leaning the bike hard into it because that's not really how we do it in, in any vehicle in slippery conditions. So uh, that uh, with maybe a, a slightly lower saddle height, uh, a, an, a, a positive attitude, I, I think that's going to take you far. And uh, the likelihood of you getting hurt is actually pretty small. Yeah. And I think also what Jeremy was saying, being able to have your foot on the ground, it helps a lot. Like I, I actually on my, my winter bike is just a, um, cruisy commuter bike. It's, I call it a Dutch bike, but it's basically, yeah, just a little get around town, step through cruisy thing. And I don't put studded tires on my bike. Um, cause I do go around pretty slowly and I, and I've been doing it for many years. Um, and sometimes the bike slips out from under me and I just, I step off it and I let it go and it falls on the ground and that's okay. And so I think it's also, you know, if you're going slow, if you're ready to step off your bike, um, it's okay sometimes if your bike slips and it goes on the ground or whatever. It's it's very it's you know it's less likely that you'll get hurt when you're traveling at those low speeds and taking it easy and kind of thinking about what's going on. And you could even practice that as well, you know. So I think uh, it's also an attitude being okay with a little bit, you know, a little bit of slip, a little bit of movement of your tires, like that's kind of part of being in the winter. Um, and so kind of changing your mindset as well is, is helpful for that and helps you be more relaxed and prepared. And I think as well, uh, you know, we were talking just about, you know, what to do. But if you're really nervous about falling, then studded tires are probably your best option, just because you do have that better grip. And that is why we, we, 
put them on everyone's tires as part of this program because we're really aiming at people who have not ridden in the winter before and would like to start. And a lot of times there is some kind of nervousness and trepidation around that. And so we really, to set people up for success, um, it is a little bit of an investment, either of money if you're buying the tires or of time if you're going to make them uh, yourself. And so that's something that I think we, we recommend for people. It's not necessary, but if you're feeling nervous, it's very, very helpful to increase your confidence and the, and the change in grip is, is significant. So um, that is something I think that I would say to people if they're kind of feeling nervous about falling, that that's one way, um, one thing you can do, a positive step to help reduce that possibility. That actually answers my my follow-up questions. I was going to ask, you know, what about the width of the tires? That's something that my partner always says to me. He had mentioned, well, I want to get, I want to get a fat, a fat tire bike so I can get around really easy. But knowing that if you're going to be riding on pavement, it's going to be a little bit slower. That's something great that I can bring to him and, and know that we can keep our bikes that we currently have. We don't have to spend any additional money, maybe other than buying the studded tires, or perhaps we can make some ourselves with the help of some YouTube videos. Um, but another question I have for the both of you is, you know, electric bikes are really popular right now. And it's something that I myself am looking into. I've got some pretty bad knees. So getting around on a bike is a little bit more difficult for me. But when it comes to electric bicycles in the wintertime, I know people talk about, you know, electric vehicles in the wintertime and how do those bode with our really harsh climate here in Alberta. But do you have any advice or insight on using electric bikes when it comes to winter cycling? Does it is it easier or does, is the battery affected by our cold weather? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? One, one, one aspect of e-bikes that that's well adapted for winter is, is the fact that they're easier to ride. You don't have to push as hard. Winter tires, if we install them on bikes are, are a little bit slower. So an e-bike is actually an even better vehicle than, than a regular bike. Not to say that regular bikes are bad for, for winter, but if you're traveling a, a further distance or you've got hills or, or, uh, or, or any, any kind of issue where you, you just want some assistance, e-bike is a terrific choice for, for winter bike conversion. And we have had, for our Bike All Winter programs, we do open it up to e-bikes and we have had e-bike uh, riders participating uh, and that number is only growing. So, um, so we see that happening um, I think the only thing that we've run into is depending on the e-bike that you get, some e-bikes have very uh, custom and specialized tire sizes. So that's something for people to think about when they're purchasing an e-bike that um, if you buy something online, like some of the um, like mini rad folding e-bikes, things like that, that might have 20 inch tires. Um, or we looked at one that was 22 inch tire, which is not even a standard tire size for bikes in general, then you might run into problems in terms of equipping your bike unless you get specialized equipment from the manufacturer that sold the e-bike. And they may or may not provide that. So I think that's just one thing for people to be aware of when they're shopping around for their e-bike. But definitely all of the people that we know who participated in the program with e-bikes have, have absolutely loved it and haven't we haven't heard of any issues that they've had. Kind of going back and, and talking about the point that Jen, you were mentioning about how the Bike All Winter program pairs people with, with mentors, I think that that's a really great piece to help get people into this space because it is, it's kind of intimidating to, to hop on your bike and you're by yourself and you're on the path and you see people biking on their, on their bikes ahead of you and 
you're nervous that, oh, what if I fall? You know, I don't want people to, to think differently of me. But I think pairing yourself with somebody who knows what they're doing and can give you the tips and, and to push you forward and, and to tell you to keep going, I think that that's a really great, a really great way to get people into this. And, and I hope that, you know, we, we, in Edmonton, we don't have uh, this program particularly, but I think that the biking community is, is really strong in Edmonton, at least I'm not sure what it's like in Calgary and other cities in Alberta, but, you know, for people who are listening, if they, you know, if they want to find a mentor, maybe my suggestion would be hop on Twitter. I know that the bike community in Edmonton is really popular on Twitter and maybe put out a little call to say, I'm looking for a bike biking uh, mentor for the winter time. And maybe that would be a good option for people. Cause I think that mentor piece is really important to help to help give people the confidence to start and continue with, with cycling in the winter. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, you can also look around and see, like, do you see your neighbor biking in the winter or do you have a colleague who you see biking to work? So if, if you see people who are doing it, you can always also just go up to them and be like, hey, I'd like to try this. Like, what do you think? And um, my experience is that most people love it so much that they're happy to share share that experience and share what they know and um, and go for a, a ride, like that's fun. So I think people would be open to that. So hopefully um, that idea grows. This this conversation has been so enlightening and, and given me tools for myself to to get out there and, and take the leap and get over that fear to, to start cycling. And, you know, like you said, Jen, earlier about how the Bike All Winter program is, you know, helping to inspire people to to take that step and to start doing this themselves or, or at least get them in, inspired to maybe just take one day of, or, you know, one, one bike ride this winter and try it and then progressively start to try it more and maybe become a full-time winter cyclist. And thank you both so much for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge with us and talking about the program. And, and I know it was really beneficial for me and I, and I hope it was beneficial for everybody listening. Well, thanks so much for having us. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, don't hesitate to bike, jump on a bike at any time. That's my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope Jen and Jeremy were able to convince you to give winter cycling a try, even if it's just for one day. If you'd like to learn more, check out the resources in the show notes. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Michelle Holland from the Canadian Wildlife Federation to chat about conservation. Make sure to click the subscribe button so you get notified when we post the episode. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is a program of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a nonprofit charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, the City of Edmonton, the Government of Alberta, Syncrude, operated by Suncor, Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation and Beverage Container Management Board, Capital Power, the City of Calgary, Dow Canada, and the Alberta Forest Products Association.